Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way, so you will be better equipped to amplify your impact as a difference maker in any area in your life. We'll cover a variety of topics related to authenticity and what it means to bring humanity into the world. What is uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I am so excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. Good day, Haley. It's always good to spend time with you. Likewise, I was going to say it's been a couple of weeks with you know me being sick and you're traveling and being busy, and it's been a while. It has been, and I miss it. I miss this time with you. Not that no. we need an excuse. It's yeah, too bad that we have an have have an excuse to talk to each other. <laughs> we have to schedule it in scheduled <laughs> zoom session no. so you have a very fascinating you had a very fascinating trip this week uh with you took your kids off on a on a leadership on a outdoor adventure and maybe you could talk a little bit about that and 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 talk about the origin of your time uh with your kids and by the way i it was remiss of me to, to not mention the fact that we are going to address the topic of suicide today. So if you're not in any kind of space to hear that uh, right now, uh, by all means, come back in, as, at a later time. Anything else you want to yeah. say about that, Haley? No, I think that that's perfect. Um, well, there's a sort of a, you know, a, a journey that we kind of go on here. Like, um, so I guess I'll start with like the purpose of this trip. Um, and then the purpose of this conversation I ended up having with, this group of students. So, um, as I've, I've mentioned on this episode before, I work at a Montessori high school and, um, and so essentially a, a key tenant of, of Montessori philosophy, regardless of the age group, uh, is a connection to the open air. It's a connection to nature, um, is part of it. So getting outside, getting into nature, however you can. Um, she actually, if you look at, you know, her philosophy and you follow it to a T, she actually says, you're not supposed to climb Hills because Hills are detrimental to heart health. Anyway, she wrote it in the 1940s, no longer relevant in that regard. Anyways, um, but uh, she also said sugar is really good for kids. So product of her time. Um, but, uh, so uh, the origin of this was, um, yeah, getting kids outside um, and then also encouraging them to take risks. And so for uh, so what we've done every single year, um, we have a junior high trip and a senior high trip. Uh, we take them um, to a wilderness, I say resort, but it's a little bit more rustic than uh, a resort. Uh, we take them whitewater rafting one day. Uh, they sleep in these like little rustic cabins overnight. Um, we do some big discussions with them. Uh, we do some like, you know, get to know you community building activities. Um, and we we hang out on the river. We go on hikes. Um, we teach them how to build fires. Um, and we teach them a lot of these skills that some of these, you know, suburban kids just don't get a chance to do. Uh, and a big, a big piece of this is risk and, and, you know, challenging yourself and getting outside of your comfort zone. And so for some of these kids, that's getting on the bus and sleeping away from home. For some of these kids, it's, uh, you know, sleeping in a cabin in the outdoors. For some of these kids, it's going whitewater rafting. Uh, and for some of these kids, it's, you know, having food that's not their typical food that they eat all the time. So, and, uh, being away from their phone, being away from their computer, being away from their family, what have you, even in senior high. Um, and so it's, it's, it's encouraging of, of that risk and that everyone has different levels of risk. And then also conversely, 
pairing that with rest or with rest and reflection so that the impact of the risk and and how you felt about the risk can really sink in and and you can think about it. And so we've been noticing some patterns at our school over the last couple of years about um, particularly young men. So the teenage boys that we had at our school and, um, and then I started to do some reading and digging and listening to podcasts, reading some books, reading articles, talking to colleagues, um, talking to friends of mine. And what I was starting to kind of unpack is that there's 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 a crisis going on with young men right now, with men in general. Um, and this is not to say that, you know, women are, you know, are not going through a crisis of their own, what have you. Absolutely not. But what we're starting to see is is you know, what we see at our school's level, uh, we see, you know, um, boys dominating the conversations in uh, school and taking over. Uh, we see uh, boys are not valuing other people's in, in opinions. Um, we're seeing boys are making comments um, that are sexist or racist or homophobic. Um, we're seeing uh, these sort of machismo locker room ideas um, start to pop up and fizzle up in, in our school. And it, that was quite frustrating. And so I I spent a long time thinking about how do we address this? And especially me being a female teacher, you know, like, you know, I, I know I have to approach this very carefully and, and thoughtfully um, to make sure that, you know, it's not just roll your eyes. Oh, here comes the, you know, progressive feminist, you know, English teacher coming in here. Like I had to approach this thoughtfully to actually make it make this meaningful. And so I, I spoke with um, one of my grade 12 students um, who is a role model in our school. He's an athlete. He's highly academic. Um, he's a musician. Uh, and he has a lot of social clout at our school. The kids look up to him. He He's highly respected at our school. And he's a, just a really, really wonderful, nice kid. And I was like, okay, here, we've got a lot of this like high levels of masculinity here. We're seeing a lot of these issues like like the girls have always outperformed the guys at our school, but I'm also seeing this as a statistic in universities and in other high schools across Canada. So, you know, I, I want to bring this up during our, our trip this like this coming week. How how would you suggest I do it? And he thought about it and he said, you know, he's like, I think the core of this is mental health. He's like, I think at the core of this, it's it's it's, you know, helping give a space to men to talk about a lot of these things that we haven't let allowed men to talk about before. And, and, you know, we've, we've done it like, and so he and I got back and forth and got chatting and the more digging I've been doing, the more I've been realizing that we've done really well in our, our society and our culture at getting girls into male dominated areas. We've done incredibly well at celebrating girls who pursue engineering and pursue math and computer science and, you know, these, these, and sports and athletics, particularly men's sports or, you know, male dominated sports like football and, and contact sports and hockey, right? We've done really, really well at getting women into those spheres, especially young women. Um, women now are uh, statistically uh, more likely to go to university than men are. Uh, for the first time in, in, in many generations, uh, women make up the majority of, of university undergraduates. Um, and so we're, we're starting to see there's, there's some disconnect here because what we haven't done, I would argue is, is given men, the tool, young men, particularly, um, the tools to help them succeed in, in areas that had been dominated by women for many, many years, um, areas of, of talking about how they're feeling, giving words and language to that, uh, of showing affection of, uh, not having to be the provider, uh, about being a support, about just being enough, right? And we haven't done the work in that regard. And so 
I started doing more digging on these statistics. And so what I was finding is that men uh, far and away, and I'll actually pull up the statistics while I'm talking to you. Um, men are more likely to die by suicide. Women are more likely to try it, but men are more likely to die by it. Um, and that's regardless of the country, that's a, a global, uh, a global statistic. Um, men are more likely to be both, um, the, uh, uh, um, they both likely to both practice violent crime and be victims of violent crime. Um, men are more likely to drop out of university. Um, men are more likely, I'll just pull up some more statistics here. I just have them loading here. Um, men are less likely to be diagnosed with depression and other mental health issues, but also less likely to go to the doctor and to seek a therapist, um, than women are. Um, they, uh, have uh, some of the symptoms that a lot of men complain about, which are actually symptoms of depression or anxiety, such as headaches, backaches, um, stomach aches, uh, indigestion. Um, a lot of these are are symptoms that are also associated with mental health. Um, men are more likely to use uh, substances and abuse substances, such as alcohol and uh, nicotine and opioids. Um, as well, uh, men are more likely to carry out mass shootings. Um, robberies, murder, sexual assault, assault in general. Um, and uh, yes, so among these things, we're clearly noticing that something is going on sociologically, culturally um, with men. And so uh, all of that being said, I guess it was, so we, we decided to have this conversation. We, we split up those who identify as a man or a boy. Uh, we took them into smaller groups and then we took everybody else in another group and had a different discussion with them. Uh, so with these boys and men, um, that I was working with, we started to ask them a bunch of questions. Um, so I was wondering if I could ask you some of these questions, dad, if that's okay with you. That'd be great. Love it. Right. Amazing. Okay. So, uh, my question to you, uh, I guess, why do you think that men are more likely to die by suicide and, uh, have higher rates of substance abuse? Well, in your opinion. Well, my observation of working with uh, young boys over the last four decades and men as well would indicate from my research that men typically show two feelings, anger and sex. And mm. we channel, we have a tendency historically to channel all of our emotions into that. Now, as we've talked on previous episodes, anger is a secondary feeling. What's underneath anger is fear, loss, feeling insecure, feeling self-doubt, feeling afraid. And we historically have not been taught how to open those feelings up. So at a global level, at a very generic level, I think women probably are more mentally healthy. Now, I guess women may have, this is a sweeping generalization, but mentally healthy, um, I mean, that you have your own neuroses, I know, but men, when we, <laughs> when we take that, that, those primary feelings and, and don't share them and don't create a space, a safe place where we can be validated to say, it's okay to share those feelings, what happens is those primary feelings that get suppressed turn to anger. And so we get more aggressive. And so I think certainly 
there's more aggression in the act of suicide with men. So we will tend to pick things that will do us in more quickly, i.e. guns, yeah. right? Because yeah. we tend to have that, we have tend to have more anger um, because we haven't found a way, we, because we haven't created for ourselves that safe place. And I'll get into that a little bit more, but if we, if you don't, if you don't have a place where it's okay to be insecure, where it, you, where it's okay to be afraid, where it's okay to feel loss and grief. If, if we don't find a safe place in our life to deal with those feelings, they'll turn into anger. So I guess my question is like, in your experience as a man, and then also working with men, like, why is it that men tend to like, like, I, I feel like, like, especially, you know, being a woman and, and having a lot of close female friends, we talk and we talk a lot about these deep emotions all the time. We we know the language, we know how to talk about it. And conversely, we also show a lot of affection, physical affection, emotional affection. We aren't afraid to show um, love and appreciation for, you know, those we love, but why is it so difficult for men in your experience? Why do you think that men still struggle to open up and talk about these feelings and also to show uh, affection, right. Um, to other men. Um, why do you think that is? Because, well, there's many reasons, but in its simplest form, we don't, we haven't had older men, a generation ahead of us who have modeled the way. So what we end up with is uninitiated men, uninitiated boys. Mm. So mm. let's just say that the, the process of reaching adolescence as a young boy is when you get testosterone, the whole purpose, I mean, from a purely biological perspective here, the purpose of, of young boys coming into adolescence is to reproduce and to generate the next generation. And so the whole journey of doing that means that I get this testosterone and I, I get to prove myself. I'm going to prove my worthiness to the opposite sex or in some cases to the same sex, but I'm going to prove my worth. Uh, you will often see teenage boys doing push-ups in front of a mirror because that's that, you know, I'm going to prove that that's, you know, I, I and, and, and we strut and we show our feathers. This is a natural response. However, there's two things, three things that's required to turn that into a man. Number one, we need an older man in our life and women unfortunately can't do this. If you're a single mom, you need to find an older man for that in that boy's life that he bonds with and that he connects with where it's safe to show those primary feelings. And that same person that he trusts and feels connected to will put him in his place. We'll say, you do not treat women this way. Yes, it's good to have your ego bolstered, but it is unacceptable to now turn that onto women. For example, I've got a friend right now who was telling me that her son uh, swears at her 
14-year-old mm. son swears at her, diminishes her, disrespects her. And her mm. father, the boy's father, does not step in and say, unacceptable. You do not treat your mother like that. Now, you mm. can't just have a heavy-handed male doing that. I mean, that's a start. You have to have a heavy-handed male who is bonded and feels connected to that young man to put him in his place. The third thing that boys need is they need a community where they can mm. feel needed and where that's, that testosterone gets channeled in productive ways. And that's what we call initiating a boy into manhood, where he feels needed, where he feels that he can't run the show because he's got a good, strong male that says that will help him set boundaries and tell him what's appropriate and inappropriate, and that he has a place where he can bring his, his deep feelings. And if you don't get those feelings, and then you combine that in an age of social media, where we have all of this compounded and pornography on top of that, access to pornography, and you get uninitiated toxic boys who are poisoning our communities. My question too, actually, because you mentioned social media and stuff, um, there is a rise of men having eating disorders um, nowadays too with social media. Uh, and like all of this, like fitness trends about having to look a certain way with social media. Um, so there's a huge rise. And again, I think we've done a really good job with, with girls to talk about like body image and, and things like that. We still have a long way to go for sure. Right. But I think we've done a great job initiating that kind of conversation with women. Um, so my question for you is like, why do you think, I guess you've probably kind of mentioned this before, but why do you think like there are rising rates of eating disorders with young men? Well, for the same reason that I was addressing here. So when you say we've done a good job with women, here's my here's the way that you do a good job with women is you get a, you give them the space to talk about how insecure they feel about their bodies. You give them the space to feel like how diminished they feel, how uh, fearful they feel, how comparing. So you've created a space. Am I at, am I correct that that's how you that's one of the reasons why you would say you are doing a good job with women. I think so. And I think also too, with women, like, because we understand it and we are able to recognize when it's sort of becoming a problem, <clears throat> we've done a good job at, I think, educating young girls at like, okay, like when you see your friend displaying this kind of behavior, what do you do about it? Right. And how can you support your friend and get help and support for that? Right. Um, like we were able to identify the problem, some by problem, some, like, obviously it's impossible to completely eliminate eating disorders, you know, for a myriad of reasons, but we've done really, I think we've done really well at, at coaching girls, how to identify the problem behaviors, um, or problematic, worrisome, you know, issues. Um, and then we've also given girls like spaces and language to be able to talk about it and get support for it. Right. And we're recognizing it and we're talking about it. Right. Um, and so I don't know, do you think in your opinion, do you think we've done the same for, for boys? I don't think so. I don't think we've, mm. I don't think we've talked about it. Uh, I don't think, mm. again, I would support, I would suggest that girls mm -hmm. have a strong, have more of a propensity to have a strong uh, female role model in their life than men do, than boys do. I agree. Men are off I agree. working. Men are off 
yeah. uh, in that generation are still, I, I know we've come a long way, but boys still don't have someone to talk to. So then you throw a compare a tool for comparison. That's all social media is. It's a tool for comparison. And there's a saying that I have in my own life, compare and despair. If you're comparing yourself to somebody else, you're not recognizing your own gifts. And if you don't have an older male in your life, a mother can do this to a degree. But if you don't have an older male in your life who can identify with those male feelings that are unique to a boy, you are going to have that imploded on yourself. And it's no wonder that you begin. To, it's an addiction. Uh, you either turn to some kind of an addiction to deal with that insecurity. And it, it can be alcohol. It can be sex. It can be uh, uh, addicted to perfection where your body, you know, you have to have a perfect body. And we just need a, we need a place. And I applaud you, Haley, that you're bringing these conversations out in your classrooms, in your schools, uh, to make it acceptable to talk about uh, what it's like to go through adolescence and the insecurity that comes with it. And, it's, and let's not pathologize it. It's, it's a natural you know, the it, trans, trans, uh, adolescence is a transition period. And it's, it's a trend, as we say, when one door closes, another one opens, what they don't tell you is it's hell in the corridor. And the corridor of adolescence <laughs> is hell, because you're, you're oh, not God. a kid, yeah. you're not a child, you're not an adult, but you got to have a community to connect with and feel needed by and to feel safe with, to get you through that adolescent period. And if we haven't been mm -hmm. modeled how to do that as young boys, uh, we haven't got it. We're going to we're going to stay stuck. And, and so what you end up with is 40 year old adolescent men who uh, boys, really 40 year old adolescent boys who are still treating their their partners. And, and you, you see, these are see this is what you get CEOs, the, the, the uh, 15 year old doing push ups in front of the mirror. If he doesn't get initiated, he's running a company someday, and it's all about bolstering his ego and looking big. And he might build a great, uh, you know, a, a productive, profitable company for his shareholders, and treats people like crap inside the culture. I guess this kind of like goes into my next question too. Is like. I guess when you were younger with your, you know, the men in your life when you were younger and then like looking around at men now, like how do you feel like what was the role of men like in society? Like what was the role of a man to a family to in society? Like what was their social role, um, you know, 50 years ago? And then in your opinion, what do you think the role of men is now and becoming? Well, historically. It's changing dramatically. Historically, yeah. up until my parents' generation, so we're talking about the generation in the 60s, uh, it, the role between men and women was very delineated. Men went out and worked. They provided for the family. They didn't care whether they liked their job or not. It was their duty. And they went out and worked. And women stayed home and looked after kids and looked after the raising of the children. And those roles were very delineated. So we're still seeing the remnants of that where we haven't got young boys connecting. And you see, to a degree, that role worked 
when the boys worked beside their father. Because if you were raised on a farm, for example, which was predominantly in this country, it was an agricultural society. So when you were five years old, you were out there milking cows, you were there with your dad. Sure, you got his moods, but you also, and you got his temperament, but you also got his affection. And, and so if you, so if, if you have a society that where you have family, uh, fathers and sons working together, that model isn't so bad. But if you start to move to an industrialized society and then fathers exit the family and, and, and work uh, disconnected from their sons, then you have a huge gap. So what's happening now for the role of men to answer that question is that we are becoming um, softer and more connected with our humanity and at the same time needing to have a backbone so that we have the strength to plant our flag and to set our goals, but at the same time open our compassionate heart. And none, very few of us have had role models at how to have both strength and compassion. So in the meantime, what we have is men trying to please women, trying to make women happy. Well, I got to make you happy. It is not a man's job, in my opinion, to make a, their partner happy. It's not, well, it's that, not that's not their job, but their job is to is to be compassionate and at the same time have that backbone. Because it's like it's it's almost like it's that, you know, trying to please their their, you know, the women in their life. It's that, you know, that I would argue becoming more archaic idea that men have to provide right? They have to provide and they have to protect, right? And that role isn't really feasible anymore, right? Like very, very few people, uh, very few households can survive on a single parent income anymore. Like it's just not feasible. Like things cost too much money, right? And also too, like the pressure then that puts on men to be the sole provider, especially now that we're seeing, you know, if women are getting university degrees at greater rates and, you know, women very, very likely will be making more money than men, Right. And so now like their role as a provider, especially like, you know, and, and if they're determining their entire value is like how much money um they're providing their family. Right. If that's if that's changing. Right. Like, you know, they're going to have to, you know, find ways of being compassionate. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it means being open and receptive and secure enough with yourself. Again, this requires an initiated male to do this who has had a role model of a community and an older man in his life who can feel confident enough to say, let's negotiate our roles. You know, maybe I'm the best person to stay home and look after the kids. Maybe you're the best person to go out and, and, uh, and, and earn the living. And so we, we negotiate without it feeling like a threat to our identity because we're not caught in a traditional role. There are no more traditional roles. We just, uh, you know, what we have to do is create our own roles. But base those not on tradition and based on old, uh, under, you know, old rules, but based on fresh, a fresh perspective and a new vision. I guess this is kind of a kind of might just kind of be what you've just mentioned already. But I've been reading that my generation, the millennials, um, as fathers are spending 
spending more time with their kids in terms of number of hours than any other previous generation in recorded history. In terms of like boys, girls, regardless, they are spending more time parenting and being a father with their children in terms of hours than any other previous generation in recorded history. Um, how do you think that will impact that generation as they grow up? Well, I'm I'm very positive. I'm very inspired to hear that. That's compelling research, and I and it it matches my observations and research as well. That fathers are spending more time with their young boys as long as they're creating a safe place, and they mm -hmm. also put them in their place when they're adolescents, mm -hmm. and make sure that they are that they have enough backbone, because just spending time more with kids is not necessary it's necessary but it's not sufficient you also have to not be afraid to be a parent to step in and put these young boys in their place there's i was trying to find my phone but i think my dog is leaning on it right now um but because i had a, a montessori quote for you um and it's this idea of um choice and responsibility within limits so being able to give them choice and freedom but also recognizing that with that comes limits and responsibility right and so that's exactly like what you'd mentioned right like about how you know giving them love and affection but also you know not being afraid to hold uh bound like to hold you know to to enforce boundaries and structure right and that's also really important right and how like regardless of of the gender of the child right like you know boy girl somewhere in between right that that can be a a really useful lesson you know Absolutely. Is my is my observations aligned with your percept perspective? Yeah, I think so for sure. Like, um, and it's just really neat because, like, you know, as you know, as we start to see these traditional roles of of man and woman starting to be kind of dismantled for all kinds of reasons, right? Economic, cultural, all kinds. Um, you know, where it's 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 really neat to see this Gen Alpha, this Generation Alpha, which are um, the children sort of born. It's debated on when they were born, but like 2010 onwards. Um, you know, is that their their you know their their idea of identity is is in flux, but in a wonderfully positive way, right? That they're getting influences from such a variety of of places, and you know, having the influence of their father more often, and you know, stay at home dads are becoming more common, and paternity leave, not just and and parental leave, right? And and you know, changing that definition of you know these 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 roles that had existed for so long, and so yeah, it's really exciting, and and you know you know, giving, you know, young men the language that they can start to talk about these things with, right? Like we still even now, you know, if a girl, if a girl decides to go into STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, we're like, wow, look at you go. Amazing. Wonderful. But if a, if a, a man goes into something that's female dominated, like nursing, teaching, uh, healthcare profession, like not doctor per se, but like, you know, support workers, personal support workers or social work. Um, I think that the, the idea of like, you know, you could be doing better. You're like, you, you know, you're not living up to your potential. Like this idea is still, is still, uh, I, I don't know, still, still sort of taught and, and said. And so I was wondering like, um, you know, what do you think the impact of, of that still is when you have yeah, that, you know, society tell men I, that I they should We still, we, as you say, I think that women have probably evolved further in in pass, passing their old traditional roles than men have 
I think we still so are a generation ahead of uh, behind women in terms of really feeling good about uh, taking on what would be traditionally a, a more of a female role. Um, but it's uh, I I think we're heading in the right direction that way for sure. I think, think my last question behind. for you. Dan. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my last question I think for you is that. Like what practical advice, like what can we practically do to help support these young men as they sort of come into their own uh, and they grow up through adolescence and beyond? Like what can we do as as teachers, as parents, as people who are around young men um, to help them grow into masculinity in a healthy way? In a, and, and what can we actually, what does that like, what does that practically and tangibly look like? Oh, it's such a great question, Haley. Um I would suggest you mentioned role model. Yeah, I would suggest that you every male on this call find a young boy who does not have a strong, compassionate man in their life and find a way to bond with that child. Someone it might be a nephew, it might be a niece, it might be a grandson. Uh, not a niece, but uh, obviously we're looking for young boys. So it might be a nephew. It might be a, a neighbor that you connect with and that you genuinely find a connection with uh, and, and become a, a positive role model in their life that eventually you could help them understand limits and boundaries, but that you take them under your wing. That ideally would be my vision, that we all find, us men, find a young, a young boy that we can take under our our wing and help them grow if they if they don't have one uh, currently in their life uh, because we all know that it takes a village to raise a to raise a child and even a two parent family you know it, it, there there is some cultures that when you reach adolescence you change families you exchange family you go live with the neighbor and they'll go live with you or you go live with your you know your uncle and your uncle will send their son to you and that and that we have that cross over so that because parents are often not the best people to do this we're too close to it we and we lose perspective we're either too easy on kids or we're too hard on them and we haven't got that balance uh and and secondly just uh, if if you've got a young boy in your life look around and find where can you get him involved in a community it might be a a church community it might be a um, it, it might be a, a, a football team, uh, somewhere where that young boy would be exposed, might be a, a musical theater. You're, you got musical theater tryouts somewhere where that young boy could be exposed to an older male who would care about him enough to tell the truth and to bond with him. That can happen in, it can happen in, uh, on teams. It can happen in, in any kind of community. Uh, endeavor. I like that. That's good. I like that a lot. Well, anything else? Yeah, I was gonna say, is there anything else you want to add about masculinity? Well, we, could, we could talk about this all afternoon. And I, I would love to hear from our listeners if there's, you know, re reactions, responses, uh, by all means, uh, would love to hear from you, connect with us, uh, what your reactions are. So what are you grateful for? We always wrap up with some gratitude. Yes. Great question. Uh, musical theater. Well, I've just started, um, we're putting together a musical um, for the first time since COVID. 
And so it's, as I know, like, you know, this was my, you know, my whole coming of age was through the theater. And so I'm so excited to now be back at it with my students. And so I'm really grateful for that. And then also the other thing I'm grateful for was we had the opportunity on this, this trip last week, uh, we went on a hike and then we all just sat in the forest for 10 minutes and, you know, kids didn't have their phone. I didn't look at my phone and we just started 10 minutes, just being in the forest and listening for 10 minutes. And it was such a deceptively simple and like, like it was a simple, but deceptively powerful moment. Um, not just for me, but for the other students too. Uh, and it was just a good reminder that like, I just need to like not have stimuli for a little bit <laughs> and how important that is to just sort of go and, you know, minimize the stimuli and distractions that are everywhere and just go in a forest or green space and not look at my phone and just be there for 10 minutes. And so I was really grateful for that opportunity. Well, you and also to be able a, to learn and, and talk to you. Too. Sorry. Yeah, you just brought up a great point about uh, having boundaries around devices and getting connected mm. to our natural world, to our nature, to who we are as human beings, and to turn off those uh, devices and really connect with ourselves yeah. and the world around us. Absolutely. Yeah. And what are you grateful for, Dad? Well, I'm grateful for these conversations with you. I'm grateful. You sent me all these questions this morning and I was just filled. My heart was just filled because I'm just so fortunate to have a daughter who cares about these, this material and that somehow I've planted some seeds that will grow well beyond me. I'm just grateful that you're, that you're curious about these topics and that, you, that we can have these kind of open dialogue with each other. And, uh, I, you know, and I, hope that, I hope it's useful to our listeners, but if our listeners don't get anything out of it, I know it's been hugely valuable for me to spend this time with you each episode. Likewise, Dad. Likewise. Um, we've got more questions too that we can always tackle next episode. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have part two on this session next episode. <laughs> you stay real, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs>